Hello, everybody. Welcome to um, this next episode of the Food Lovers Elective, a craft conversation series. Um, just to tell you a little bit about ourselves at Craft, we seek to um, foster a transformative regional food system in Western Pennsylvania that recognizes the central role of food systems in our society and values of the people who live and work within them. We envision a food system that is equitable, fostering fairness and transparency across the value chain. A system that is sustainable, actualizing economic, social, and cultural well-being as part of the food system. And a food system that is inclusive, valuing dignity, sovereignty, and the inherent power of all people. So today's episode is titled Towing the Line, the Black Queer Experience and Colorblind Nonprofit Spaces. Our student moderator, Sydney Lawson, will talk with her special guest, Malika Simmons, about the shared challenges they've experienced in colorblind spaces. So this episode will take about an hour with the last 10 to 15 minutes reserved for question and answer. Um, please feel free to engage with us through the chat. Um, also, please feel free to um, send any questions, additional questions that you may have um, using the Q&A um, feature on the bottom of the screen. Um, with that, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, Sydney's worked hard on it and I think it's going to be great. So I'm going to hand it off to Sydney. Thank you so much, Ani. Uh, thank you everyone for coming and Malika especially, thank you so much for coming to this series. I'm super excited to talk to you. Um, so Malika, uh, you are currently in your third year working for Food Corps as the DC coordinator, right? Yes, that is yeah. perfect. Yay, okay, so you have so much nonprofit experience under your belt and now you're in a supervisor role. That's really incredible. So how was that transition like for you? This isn't more part of the interview, but I'm just like curious. I just want to know. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, so I was a service member with Food Corps in 2018 to 2019. And immediately after that service year ended, I became the program coordinator. And I was actually going to serve a second year um, but then the position opened up and I decided to apply just to see what would happen. Um, so the transition was pretty difficult the first couple of months, especially because in my mind, I was prepared to go back to the school that I was serving at and like connect more with the students and the teachers that I had already started building relationships with. And then it was also difficult because I um, a lot of my friends did a second year of service. And so mm. I was like trying to balance being like their friend and their supervisor at the same time. And also mm. trying to find like my place, like in the organization. Um, so that definitely took at least six months, maybe more <laughs> for me to like finish that. Like, feel like I completed like that transition of like feeling like I was an actual like staff member versus being a service member, which is completely different, you know, but I still feel like I had like that service member mindset um, when I came into the organization, like fresh, my first, like, as I said to a lot of people, like real job, um, quote yeah. unquote, yeah. Wow, six months to transition that, that, I mean, I feel like that's actually a pretty, pretty quick transition, you know, because like most yeah. people, when they, when they move from like a subordinate role to a management role, it's like, it is definitely obviously difficult just as it was for you, especially when you have friends that you are now managing that you used to be on the same level with used to be your peers. It's just a whole different dynamic. And I feel like if you, 
maybe had done this transition in another field, it, the experience might've been different maybe. Oh yeah, for sure. And it was like also nice though to have people that I already knew because um, I also like had a shared experience with them from being a service member. And so having that connection, I feel like has helped me even like now in my third year of this school of being able to relate to our current service members and knowing kind of what they've been going through, kind of like what you were going through when you were a service <laughs> member as well. Like, I feel like we were able to like build that rapport just because of my own personal like lived experiences um, as a yeah. member. Yeah, absolutely. And just for the audience so that everyone's on the same page, because I didn't say this, but Malik was actually my uh, coordinator. So she definitely definitely kept me sane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there were so many moments where like I was just at the end of my rope and then I would have conversations with her and everything would be so much better. Everything would have made everything made so much more sense. And it was just it was so wonderful working with you. So I'm so glad that you're here and we can have another chit chat about our various experiences and yes. your experiences in food justice. So on that note, let's get this started. Uh, Pre-interview, current interview. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so since you've been in the nonprofit sphere for so long, um, what are your thoughts on the work culture environment within nonprofits that focus on food justice specifically? Mm, wow, you started off with a bang. Has we hit a question? Um, wow, that's such a big question. I think in terms of like work culture, it feels like there's always something to be done. Like there's constantly, there's constantly moving pieces. There's whether that's like policy and advocacy work, food education work. Um, like direct service, things like that. And it feels like because there are so many moving pieces, it's kind of, it's sometimes really difficult to slow down and acknowledge the progress that you, mm -hmm. that like me, myself, or like my coworkers, um, our organization as a whole has achieved because we're always constantly looking for the best way for us to like, you know, prove ourselves as an organization, best way to get funding from um, funders and things like that and I feel like that's been a really challenging part because of the fact where I'm kind of like a, I like to reminisce about things I like to chill sometimes and it feels like something that don't have the emotional energy or space to do that um, especially when there's like so many things going on right now in the whole in the world and like in DC in general um, so I feel like that's definitely like a big part of the work culture is like the pace and how quick and how fast things are constantly moving and just finding time to like take a step back and breathe is like something that I always try and do but it feels like sometimes I can't do. Yeah absolutely I feel like with nonprofit work the work truly never stops and I remember with Food Corps they were like our goal is to not exist and I think that's so admirable. But in the meantime, you just have to be on constantly and aware mm -hmm. um, and just ready to grind. Um, it's, it's also very interesting because I remember I would always peruse through your stories on social media and I would love how much you strongly advocate for self-care and rest and things like that. Yeah. Yes, I um, love <laughs> self-care rest. That's like my whole thing. Sometimes I give people advice that I don't take myself, but I'm working mm. on it. <laughs> it's a nonprofit life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So 
what are your thoughts on that dynamic? Like the, the go, 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 the hard work culture, like the work never stops. Like what are your thoughts on that dynamic within the sphere, like the nonprofit sphere overall, like as a whole? Like what's mm. your take on that? The take on, can you repeat the question? <laughs> sure, sure. So when it comes to what you just described, having to always work so hard that you really don't have time for self-care and yeah. having to work so hard that you don't always get a chance to reflect on your accomplishments, that there's always something to be done. What are your thoughts on that dynamic within the nonprofit sphere as a whole? Mm. I feel like because a lot of folks, myself included, feel that push and pull of always feeling like there's something to be done, but also wanting to balance like your own well-being and things like that, that that can quickly lead to burnout, which is why I feel like a lot of folks um, transition out of working at nonprofits and might start working for, I don't know, like companies, I don't know, other other places yeah. that aren't, <laughs> aren't nonprofits. Like corporate America. Corporate America, there we go. I was yeah. like, it starts with a C, but I could not yes. remember what <laughs> yeah. it was. Um, yeah, to make that transition because when you are like, especially in like food education um, work or even any nonprofit work, um, folks are, a lot of folks are passionate and have a direct correlation or relationship with the work that they're doing. And when you are giving so much of yourself to do that work, there's only so much of you that you can give before you feel completely depleted. And I feel like that is like a very common thing that I've talked to, like with my friends who also work in nonprofits, with my mom who has worked in a nonprofit for many years, feeling like your like your whole being is being given and your all your energy is being given to the communities that you really want to um, serve and help and at the same time it's like difficult to cure like create that balance like within yourself as well that's that's such a real concern of mine and I I, I just I'm so interested in that that idea of like giving so much of yourself you're putting, you're put, you're not just putting your physical energy, you're putting like your inner energy into mm -hmm. this, you know, like the things that make up who you are as a person, you're putting that into your work. I find that very, very interesting. So even though I feel like we touched on this just now, obviously, um, what are, what are some of the challenges of food justice work specifically within communities of color and how does your identity as a Black femme affect this, if at all? Yeah, that is a great question. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of folks, I'm assuming, the folks in the call know that um, food justice is directly related to racial justice because it's all connected. And so, especially here in D.C., the amount of families and students of color, predominantly Black families um, who don't have the same access to um, the grocery stores, healthy foods and things like that is so disproportionate to, compared to the white families and white folks that live in the city. Um, and so me being, I grew up in DC, I'm from DC. I myself like experienced food insecurity um, growing up, but I didn't know what it was until I learned the language of what it was. And so me deciding to do food core was my like personal choice of like wanting to um, give back to the community that helped raise me to help. And I also wanted to like be an inspiration as well. But I feel like 
in a lot of the nonprofit spaces that focus on food justice, majority of those folks who work at these um, organizations are white and the majority of the communities that these organizations are serving are black and brown communities of color and of other communities of color. And it feels so jarring sometimes to like hear like the language that we use and hearing like how we like describe the situation, like live people's like lived experiences. Um, and like myself as like someone who can like personally relate. And it's like, yeah, it's very jarring sometimes. Like I kind of have to like take a step back and be like, like I'm working for this organization, <laughs> like what am I doing? But it's like at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, this is like my personal journey. And so oh, sometimes I have to like put my, sometimes I feel like I have to put my feelings aside about like how I feel about the organization as a whole or about like nonprofits in general, like to the back burner because I'm really trying to focus more on the communities that we're serving. Like what can I do with the power that I have right now? And so sometimes it just takes a lot of push and pull, if that makes sense. <laughs> that does make sense. Um, do you sometimes feel like you sacrifice parts of yourself in order to serve others in that space? Yeah, I definitely think I did, especially when I first started this role, um, because the, my role in, like, in particular is supporting service members and because I feel so strongly about um, making sure that they are doing okay. I was like sometimes giving a lot of myself, not like setting my own boundaries, not being clear about like when I need to take my own space. And so it's definitely taken um, a few years, probably up until like this year, honestly, <laughs> um, for me to like kind of recognize and learn different strategies and ways for me to like um, prevent myself from like burning out, like I mentioned earlier, or like feeling like I'm sac like sacrificing so much of my well-being for the sake of the service members who are also sacrificing like and I feel like sacrifice is such a strong word but I'm just gonna keep saying it but yeah, <laughs> like yeah. sacrifice themselves for the students and the families and the communities that they're serving mm -hmm. and I know that's like that's a common theme I feel like um across different like food justice nonprofits across nonprofits in general that folks that do a lot of like social service work and things like that Whew, well said. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's so true. Okay, so when you're when you're giving so much of yourself and you might have like not so great mental health days, do you have any strategies for any black women that might be on this call or or queer black femmes or queer black um, males that might like masculines that might be on this call who are in this field and are looking for ways to build those boundaries and to build themselves back up when they give so much of themselves within these spaces. Like anything. <laughs> yeah, anything so, many, so many things. My first thing is uh, therapy. <laughs> um, me and my therapist, I started seeing my therapist, I think, yeah, when I started this job, um, and she definitely helped, like, helped me get through some really rough times, and I feel like now, since we've known each other, um, for three years, like, she's been able to, like, see my growth, and I've been able to learn so much from her, like, things that I take from my, like, personal sessions into, like, my work life, so definitely therapy, and I know that, like, our healthcare system is effed up uh, <laughs> on so many <laughs> levels, so I know that, like, not accessible to a lot of folks but if it is 
highly encourage it. Um, and also for me, um, social media, like, like you mentioned before, I do mm -hmm. love posting <laughs> on Instagram, on TikTok, you know, Twitter, um, because there are a lot of folks that I follow um, who are Black and queer, who have worked in nonprofit spaces or therapists, social workers who post their personal stories or post advice and tips for people. And I save those posts on my phone to like look at when I'm having like a bad day or if I just need a moment to like recharge, I'll like grab my phone and look at one of those posts. And like sometimes there are journal prompts too that I like can I've seen those. Like, yeah, take like five minutes, you know, just yeah. to write it down, whether I'm like it's on my phone or I'm texting someone. Yeah. Um, and then my other thing is I know a lot of people talk about it, but rest um and finding ways to take time away. Um so that's definitely something that I've struggled with a lot, feeling like I don't deserve to take a break or that I shouldn't take a break. Um, especially mm -hmm. if I'm like feeling tired or overwhelmed. So I feel like for other folks who are um, on this call who have that same feeling, you do deserve to take a break. It is okay. The work will still be there, mm -hmm. whether or not you're there or not. <laughs> so mm -hmm. if you need to take a day off, a week off, a few weeks off, please do it um, because your like mental well-being is way more important than what is happening right now. You have to make sure you take care of yourself before you can take care of other people mm. i don't know if that was specific to black queer folks but i Doesn't feel like <laughs> yeah take anyone can take that <laughs> yeah that was such good advice especially about taking a day off i think in the nonprofit sphere especially it's not something that is it's something that we oddly encouraged but we don't necessarily yeah. practice very often exactly and me and myself saying that I still I take town off but I still have a lot of vacation days <laughs> that I haven't used that I have accrued over my time working that just shows how much I have I have I haven't been taking um breaks or taking rest when I need to be and so mm -hmm. that's like also that reminder was also for me too <laughs> mm -hmm. you know sometimes we have to take our own advice right <laughs> will <Exactly>. we <laughs> it's like we may not but you know um so on on that note of working um what is it like also to bring us back yeah. what is it like being a queer black woman in a majority white organization that serves communities of color because we touched on that earlier and i really want to get in there <laughs> Yeah, um, so I would definitely say I was super nervous coming into the organization, like starting as a staff, um, just because I didn't necessarily know how many Black people worked at Food Court and how many queer people worked at Food Court. And I was like, who am I going to relate to? <laughs> I was like, who am I going to, can I, will I be able to find community like I did when I was a star swimmer? Because a lot of my star swimmer, um, friends who are, are like not considered family were queer and like people of color and it was very easy for me to like feel comfortable and so I was worried about going into this space that I knew was predominantly white um and I think I really took it took a really long time for me to feel I don't want to say fully comfortable but just comfortable enough to like be my true self and I think that's like one of the things that I really felt was like I felt like I needed to 
toned myself down in a way mm. but <laughs> yeah and mm. as you see now I'm not hurt like physically yes. I'm not toning myself down with my green eyebrows and my green hair and my glasses like I it's like beautiful. to be bold <laughs> yes. out here but when I first started I was like okay I can't do so like I have I in my mind I had this mindset that like I can't do certain things I can't wear certain things um I didn't really know what it meant to like work at a nonprofit organization because all of my other like previous experiences have been um, like over the summer or as like more like year long like volunteer positions. So yeah. for me to have like a full time like salary job was like a really big shift for me. And I like didn't really know what to do. <laughs> really, so I was like constantly out here like looking for folks that I could talk to and like the great thing I will say is that I've gained a lot of mentors in Fuqua, a lot of um, Black women who I look up to who were like took me under their wing and like gave me, have given me advice, have like reminded me take a break, have like made me laugh, have had like dance parties with me. Um, so that definitely has helped a lot um, in that in that sense. Wow. Yeah. I think dance parties are always such a good cure. Like it seems so silly at first, like in concept, it's like a dance party. Then you do it and you're like, oh, I feel right? a lot better. It's yeah. so fun. You get that energy out. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my goodness. So when it came to you finding mentors within these spaces, did they come to you or did you seek them out? Like how did that work? Oh, that's a good question. I'm trying to remember. I think it happened both ways. Um, there was like a few folks, a few Black women who started the same year that I started and who also worked in DC office. So we were able to connect in that sense because we were like geographically like close to each other. Um, and then over the past few years, the, there have been like more and more Black folks have been joining um, the organization and we created a group for all of us called OCC the onyx crown collective and so we meet <laughs> monthly um so everyone kind of just like <laughs> got together to yeah. meet monthly and have like little kikis we also like have um folks come and do like lead trainings for us like a sound bath or we did like yoga one time um and then there's also a system now where for incoming um black folks who come into the organization they get paired up with a current staff member and then like so you can help build connections throughout and so that kind of that's it was like the precursor to the system that we have now was like when I entered the organization so I was just kind of like hey like I see you like can we talk can we chat for like 15 minutes and or they would like chat me and be like hey like would you want to like have a zoom like coffee date or something like that and it was kind of like you know mutual ways of like you reaching out or them reaching out to me that's beautiful um I love that you guys built actual community and like met and had like regular times to like talk to one another, especially since it, it just occurred to me now, I don't know why, but you started the organization like right on the cusp of COVID, right? Yes, like, in 2019. Right yeah, mm. a few months before COVID. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is a big oof. And yes, I'm really sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, what an experience. So 
since you found community in these spaces and you guys sort of like mutually got together and now it's like a thing and you, and you also mentioned something I thought was really interesting them pairing do they pair up only incoming um people of color or just anyone new who might need a mentor um that's a good question I know for a fact that it's like incoming people of color but I cannot if I know if it's other like if it's white folks that get paired up with a mentor as well but it's definitely like our group that is our um BIMPOC staff of our BIMPOC staff and then our black staff definitely do that mentoring thing for folks who are coming into the organization oh I really I just think that's so thoughtful and caring in a way that is just I I don't really hear about that very often yeah, it's, it's so I love it. <laughs> it's yeah. so nice, especially because, you know, for me, like, like I said, it had for when I was, um, when I started working in the organization, I kind of had to do that, like, myself, like, organically, but now there's, like, a system in place mm -hmm. where there's, like, a whole welcome committee where people, like, like share ideas yes I am <laughs> my my I am your mentor buddy um <laughs> for coming. yeah and so it's just so nice that over these past few years that the folks who have been working at before um have like helped create this space have gotten funding for us to do certain events and do things like that um and it just goes to show that like you know, things can change within the company's culture. It can take a long time, um, but there is like always hope. Um, not always, most of the time there's hope. <laughs> At the end, yeah. yeah. <laughs> most of the time. So go going back to like the moment where you entered the nonprofit space and you thought you had to perform, mm -hmm. um, did, was that, was there ever a moment where corporate nonprofit work felt like corporate America to you? You know, I don't know if I can speak to that because I don't necessarily know, like I, the things I know about corporate America are maybe from my friends who work in corporate America or like Fair. TV shows or movies. So, um, but it definitely just like was a different experience for me um, learning about, you know, how people like manage their time, how many mm -hmm. meetings there are, how much time I was, I was gonna spend on Zoom, especially more so when the pandemic started. Um, just learning about different like quirks of like working with another, like another person or working on like a larger team. And I think especially because um, Bucor is a national organization, it's mm -hmm. different. I think it's the, I would say it's a different experience than if you work at like a local nonprofit. So. Yeah, I definitely feel like that's going to be a big transition um, if I ever, like, work at a different nonprofit space that's, like, more yeah. locally focused. Yeah, I that's one thing that I noticed um, being a service member there, too. Like, there's so much ongoing communication, like, across the sphere that there's, like, mm -hmm. a lot of, there's just, it's just a different environment. There's a lot more diversity, and it's acknowledged more openly. There's a lot more moving parts. It's something I thought was really unique about that organization, too. So what was the moment of, was there like a moment of transition, like your sort of, so to speak, villain era, like when you sort of were just like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna be me, I'm not gonna perform, like what was That's that like good. for you? Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was like a big moment, but I think it was like, there was a couple of people that I, that started working the same time that 
I did and who also had the same role as me. And we kind of started talking a lot and just chatting about our experiences, like being new in the organization. Um, And there was just like a lot going on within the organization, within the world. And sometimes we would have like these big staff calls. um, And I'm a person to say that I'm shy, I'm quiet. Like, I don't really like to like (laughs) put myself out there, but yet here I am doing this Mm -hmm. (laughs) podcast episode. (laughs) Um, But yeah, especially like in the workspace, like especially me being a new person, but sometimes it it would just be so quiet and no one would be saying like anything whether that was like asking a question or giving your their opinion and I was like okay no I need to say something <laughs> I was like I need to like break the silence I just need to like yes. share my opinion and like after I did that the first time a lot of people were like oh my gosh thank you like for speaking up and so appreciate it and then I felt and then it's been taking practice like I have to continue to like practice um recognizing that my voice like matters and what I have to say is important and even if I like feel like what I'm saying is like doesn't make sense or it's complicated it's okay because I am taking like the chance of like sharing like and being vulnerable because that is a, it is a scary thing like being vulnerable especially over zoom especially <laughs> like with a bunch of people a bunch of white people um and it does and it takes courage and I know it took me like a long time for me to be like okay it's okay if what I said like was a little all over the place, but I just put myself out there. And at the end of the day, that's like what I always wanted to do is be able to have that ability to do that. Wow. I I wonder how your identity as a queer Black woman affected that journey and whether or not you just speaking and being present and taking up any amount of space felt like advocacy like for Mm. yourself like did you feel like you were just existing or did you feel like teaching yourself to resist or did you feel like you were truly like transforming and like do you know what I mean like advocating for not just yourself but for this identity that you are yeah you represent (laughs) yeah Yeah. I feel that I feel that yeah and I think I I think I kind of did but like was advocating for um like my identity because when I started I was really I was really interested in being part of the um, BIMPOC like support group for our service members. And also I helped start the LGBTQ plus affinity group for our staff at Food Court. Um, I will say we haven't been super duper active, but that's because life is hard. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I definitely felt like both like my identity as being a black queer woman was like something that I wanted to bring to the forefront and something that I was like excited to share like with other people but also at the same time like we were talking about earlier I did I did start to feel burnt out because I was trying to do both things all the things and I was like okay it's just one of me and mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's so hard mm-hmm. to like give like what like we were saying before giving so much of myself um, to support other people. I don't know if absolutely. that's your question, but <laughs> no. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So um, to switch gears a little bit, um, what are your thoughts on how your community, how communities, the communities that your organization serves, like, 
how do you feel that their values are interpreted in those spaces with you or through you versus without you? If that makes any sense. Sort of like their ideals and their goals and how that may operate in a more traditional sense, like sort of like by the book versus like yeah. how it may look when you are performing that service. Do you feel like there's a difference? I feel like, okay, wait, the question was, how does it feel like the organist, wait, can you just repeat the question? Because <laughs> there's a yeah. lot in there and I just want to make sure I get, I understand it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I asked you three questions accidentally. So how do you feel <laughs> that your company's values align themselves with your interpretation of the work? Let's, let's ask that question. Okay. I have a with my interpretation of the work. Or like, okay. is, is, do you feel like you have to interpret it when you're doing yes. the service work? Okay, yeah. Um, that's a really good question. I think, I mean, I think you, like, you know, like everyone, not you know, but every organization <laughs> like yeah. has like their mission, their goals, their values. And I feel like it's so important for every organization to have that because it helps with the organization's identity. But at the end of the day, I feel like each person is going to take that mission different ways and find different parts of it that they relate more to or that they feel more strongly about. And even if there are like strategies and like plans, like for Food Corps, we have the service program um, to, and that's how we want to continue to like increase food education in schools. There's so each service member and each program coordinator, each person and part of the organization is like focusing on different aspects of it. And so I feel like that's a great part about being a part of like, such a big organization is that like you can do so many different things. So like me personally, I felt like when I was a service member, I was like, I was felt really passionate and strongly about the fact that I was black and I was serving in a school that was basically all black and I was able to like be a role model and be like inspiration for kids who might not have like seen someone before versus like other folks who might feel more passionate or more geared towards like policy and advocacy and that's like where their realm is they want to help like continue to change things structurally um in our system and so I feel like that is such a integral part um of like working at a nonprofit space like just in general the fact that there are so many different like moving pieces and so many different things that people can connect and relate to I hope that makes sense <laughs> yeah no it absolutely does make sense you know yeah. you make the world work for you and your values you I mean you join mm -hmm. an organization based on their values and then you incorporate your values into your role yes exactly yeah so I'm also curious then, since you are not just a queer Black woman, you are also a queer Black woman serving in an area that you grew up in. So considering that you work for and have worked for other national organizations or local organizations, working for a large organization while representing them, mm -hmm. but also serving as a representative of your home while serving your home, yeah. Were there ever any complicated moments where you felt you needed to adapt their policies to suit your community's needs? Mm. That's a great question. I feel like sometimes it was like 
there were certain lessons that like encouraged certain foods like let me just say like kale <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'm to, like you know and we like and I think that like people know like kale like a lot of white people are like oh my gosh this is like the best like leafy green you can ever taste in your entire life um and you know you go into a school full of kids full of black kids or kids of color and you're like try this kale and they're like what is this so (laughs) I I will say I did try that Mm -hmm. Um, but only after I built community and relationship with the teachers and the students and first I was like okay like what foods and what like how can I help honor the like food culture and tradition of the kids that um I'm working with and so you know collard greens are such a big important part of being black and so we made collard greens in class one day and kids were like oh my gosh I make this with my parents with my grandparents so talking about. when I yeah when I'm like yes. for like Thanksgiving or for like family holiday and so I feel like that those it was certain moments like that where I was using the framework that was provided for me but I was just swapping out like different things that I felt was more relatable or that I felt more comfortable like sharing about with the students that I worked with absolutely definitely it's so important to adapt what you're doing to your audience that is Mm -hmm. so critical um I'm really really so happy that you knew where you were and you adapted your work to suit what you knew that you would need if you were in their place you know like yeah I had an advantage and I, I love that so much so we're at 410 now and I think from what I remember when we hit that 410 mark we're going to start addressing questions from the audience um so let me pull some of them up that I've been given and I'm going to try to see if I guess correctly who these are addressed to because it doesn't say necessarily (laughs) um (laughs) so the first one I don't know who asked this question so I apologize in the chat if you would like to like say it was me then you know do that and then I'll be like look who it was um so the first question is, how do you address harm in nonprofit spaces, especially perpetrated by people in positions of power? Mm. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> you don't have to talk about necessarily one you're with. Yeah. You can use an example of another. Mm, that is hard. <laughs> a good one. A, a good question, though. Um, yeah. I feel like, I'll just say like for me personally, the way that I was able to address harm that I felt happened towards me was because I had community. Um, And I had my supervisor, who's also another like strong woman of color who I was able to go to and share my experiences. And she was able to (laughs) relate to me as well. So it was nice knowing that I had support from her and then also like from the other communities that I've created in food court, whether it was my coworkers who all share the same position as me or my um, black or and people of color coworkers who were able to like, you know, have might have experienced that themselves. I feel like just being able to share what happened initially and then getting input or getting advice from people in that situation was definitely how I, you know, helped create harm, but not help create harm, but helped. Um, yes, 
you know what I mean. Heal the harm. <laughs> yes. Yes. Heal the harm. Yeah. Yes. But I will say for like when harm is being done to the communities that nonprofits are serving, that is just like such a big thing that I feel like is constantly is constantly happening on small levels every mm-hmm. single day. And I feel like that is much more difficult to pinpoint and address mm-hmm. unless people are constantly speaking up about it or saying it and mentioning it, not letting things fall to the wayside. And I feel like the first step of like mitigating harm is by saying something about it, is by making sure that people in power know that the decisions the choices that they're making are causing this harm, showing them that, you know, such that you would have to like show them that that's how they're harming folks. But sometimes folks need a wake up call Sometimes people need to just be constantly reminded. And a lot of times that burden falls on Black folks or people of color. Mm-hmm. Speak um, on it. Which is not fair. <laughs> not yeah. fair at all. And, you know, but sometimes at the end of the day, it's like, you're like, dang, I just got to say something. Like, you got to mm-hmm. say it with your chest. You got to just do it. <laughs> yes. It's so scary. And you're so spot on about it falling to the responsibility of the communities that are being harmed and Mm -hmm. all the individuals being harmed. It's like, where's our advocacy? I'll I'll advocate for myself as per usual, but without bitterness, just with love, (laughs) you know, it's, we have to learn a different set of coping skills and a different set of um, advocacy skills. Um, So that was, yeah, I love that answer. Thank you so much. Um, The next question is way lighter. You'll love this. (laughs) Um, what sparks joy in the work that you do? Oh, wow. That's such a good question. Um, so cute. I know. I love that. So for, I'll talk about when I was a service member and then I'll talk about me as a coordinator right now. Um, so as a service member, oh. what sparked joy? Oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to give a shout out. Oh. Rochelle Lee. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yes. Thank you, Ro. Um, thank you for the so, question. For, as, when I was a service member, the thing that sparked joy was the kids um, at the end of the day, just being able to like be with them and, sh- and like share in their excitement and curiosity and joy. And what we were learning about was always just what got me through when I was having a tough time, even when the kids were being tough <laughs> on mm-hmm. me sometimes. It was still, to me, at the end of the day, it was worth it because um, I felt like we were building like relationship and building community with each other um and then as a program coordinator in my role right now um the thing that sparks joy is being able to like create spaces for my current service members to connect and you know be with one another so currently right now what I'm like looking forward to is there's this musical that is showing in DC called Grace and it's about um, African-American food ways and cultures and things like that and we're gonna go like as a cohort to see that musical and so it just feels like it's a great way to just bring people together especially because we haven't gotten to see each other a lot um, because of the pandemic um, and just like I just love being able to like meet new people and like connect with them and be able to see the like relationships that are being built um, amongst each other in the cohort. I love that. It's like watching watching people meet and build relationships. It's, <laughs> it's so pure. And I, I know. 
Yeah, and I loved whenever you planned outings for us. It was just, oh, I love that. Even though we we couldn't do many, but <laughs> no, yeah. we were in the thick of it. <laughs> we really were. Um, so the next question, I love this so much. What is your favorite food, or who is your favorite person or people to share a meal with? Mm. Mm. Do you want to go, Sydney? Do you want to share one of those? Uh. Uh, sure. Um, <laughs> uh, if you so, want. Uh, no, yeah. Um, so there's something to chat. I think it's the person claiming. Oh, no. It's just a thank you, Ro. Uh, if I can call you Ro. Um, so, so my favorite food or foods would be like slow foods, comfort foods, braises, like stews and things like that. Um, and also uh, sushi and I love fish yeah. and stuff. I love sushi. Yeah. And <laughs> I love sharing a meal with people that I can have like any variety of conversation with. Like it can go from mm-hmm. funny to us crying to us like just, you know, talking about the future or like talking yes. about really weird things. Yeah. I love having meals with that type of energy, like that vibe. Nice. Love that. <laughs> I love that. So how about you? <laughs> um... So my favorite food, which I've discovered recently, not discovered recently, I've always loved this food, is chicken salad. <laughs> I just love it so much. I can eat it every day. Um, I have eaten it every day recently for like a week, and I was like, okay, Melissa, you need to chill. Um, <laughs> but I love chicken salad. And then the I love to share meals Um with friends and family, like, you know, generic answer, but especially with, um, especially because I, like, would not consider myself the best, like, cook or, like, chef, but, like, when I am, like, invited to to things and it's, like, a potluck, I feel like it's put, it helps put me out of my comfort zone because I can, like, make something, um, and it's been nice to be able to, like, make things for the folks um and taste what other people have made because a lot of my friends and families are um great cooks great chefs um and it's great I love that so Jocelyn Short asked very good question do you put anything in your chicken salad that might be a bit uncommon since you're mm. such a fan I love that yeah so <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if it's uncommon but sometimes I put curry powder and chicken salad and it gives it a little extra spice a little extra kick to it okay okay I've I've absolutely never heard of that and I would love to try that I would love to try that Mm. it's delicious Mm. I bet see I really I've never had chicken salad made by someone who loves chicken salad and I feel like that would be a whole Mm. different experience so next question um oh oh Okay, so this one does seem directed at me, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try. If we have time, I'll ask that question um, okay. because you know because I just because you know um, how important is community education in your program? Mm-hmm. I think it's important, but I will say that I feel like we focus more on. <laughs> Someone said you should answer one. <laughs> okay, I'll do that next. Um, yeah, I think that community education is important. It's an important part of our organization's mission, but I also feel like a lot of our 
resources and focus right now has been more um, individual and like focused on like students in general. Um, but I will say that a lot of folks, a lot of service members who are in their service year do take that community education um, to heart and do find ways to build relationships and resources like you did Susan when you were at Minor with the Mutual Aid Network and help them get like the produce <laughs> distributions and things like that. Like that is community networking, community networking, community building. And I feel like um, a lot of service members and a lot of folks do do that. And I do think it is a big part, um, could be bigger, um, I think that it could always be bigger to like help engage the entire community and not just certain folks in the work that we're doing. Yeah, it's also an interesting thought too, because eventually like when you, this sounds so cliche, but you educate the children and then you, <laughs> like that leads to community education because yeah, they're taking their exactly. education and they're building upon it. Yeah. Um, so the question that I skipped was, how did you choose this topic to explore and does it relate to any of your work in the food studies program? So that, I don't know who that was asked by, obviously someone at this organization. Um, so I chose this topic because as a black woman in the queer community, I was really amazed by my time at food court and how they worked really hard to build spaces for um, my various identities, like my intersections. And I felt like, I felt like it would have been a much harder route to navigate had I not known that I had those spaces to go to. Mm -hmm. um, because just living as a queer black woman day to day, it can be a bit exhausting just navigating everyday interactions, everyday experiences, um, because I feel like we're, we're inundated with information and messaging and coding that encourages smallness, encourages mm -hmm. less mm -hmm. than, um, and fight, and that's sort of, I think, that really links back to like when you were talking earlier about encouraging yourself to speak up in a space that's supposed to be advocating for human expression and human justice. Yeah. And it's very ironic um, sometimes that even within these egalitarian spaces, we have to encourage ourselves because of our different intersections to be more to be as present as possible and a contributing member without just relying on our labor. Because I think that happens a lot, like where our labor is expected, our voice is unexpected. Yeah. And yeah, so I thought it, I just thought it would be really interesting to have a conversation with you, Malika, because you were such an inspiration to me and it's always so encouraging. And I'm like, yeah, and like, I'm sorry, I know I'm like, I'm just, I know it's a lot, but like, it's just so <laughs> nice to, to see how like you navigate the space. And I know it's not perfect, obviously, but you still do it you still do it. And I love scrolling through your Instagram stories and I always feel better. And I found so many different people to follow because of that, because you are active in that way. You use your voice in different ways and in different spaces. And anyways, that's my answer. So moving on. Um, um, thank you, Cindy. Appreciate that so much. <laughs> well, I appreciate you. So muchas gracias. Um, let me see what's this next question here. Hmm, this is really interesting. So how do your interests look now in comparison to three years ago? Wow. 
self-growth, self-reflection. I feel like three years ago, I really could, I thought I could see myself being a teacher. I could see myself, um, you know, being a part of the school system and working with kids every day. And, you know, now being a, have working at Food Corps and not necessarily have been um, working directly with kids every single day, I have come to realize that I do really want to move more towards being able to work with kids on a more frequent basis, but not, nece- not necessarily being a teacher. Um, mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. currently right now, what I'm thinking about doing is like what's next in my career um, is going to grad school to get my master's in social work um, because or math, social work or school counseling, um, because okay. both of those things just, I feel like will bring me joy, would be challenging, but also something that I feel very committed um, about. And I feel like I've learned that about myself the past, these past three years that I definitely wouldn't have said um, three years ago if you'd asked me like what my interests were when I have said school counseling or social work <laughs> at all. <laughs> Man, that is so interesting. I love that you are planning on going to grad school or thinking about it. I, yeah, I love that. Thinking I love about that it, you know. Yeah, th- <laughs> you know, it's in the ether. You know, you put yeah. it out there, you know. And I love your subject matter. I just, I feel like that suits you so, so, so well. Um, so it looks like we are almost at four, oh, we are at 425. And we can have like time for maybe one or two more questions. Um, so really interesting. How do you navigate whiteness in these spaces? It's a little, little hot button, little hotty wotty. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. How do I navigate? A little space. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a big, that's a big question. Um, wow. I don't even know how to answer that. <laughs> You feel so obligated to answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, thank you. But thank you for asking the question, Jocelyn, because it is like a really great question. I think it's just because I haven't thought about that because I feel like it's so ingrained in how we move throughout life, being like me being a black, um, black queer person and like, you know, sometimes being in spaces that are predominantly white. And like, when I think about it, I just feel like I just try and show up as myself, but that, I don't know if that is necessarily me navigating whiteness per se, um, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push, but I'm gonna say something. So yeah. <laughs> I, I'm gonna say, I love that question because I kind of feel like who you are in general is already navigating whiteness. Mm, you're yeah, already pushing back being. against the norm yeah simply yeah. by being um so I guess I'll ask you this in in that context then how do you feel navigating these predominantly white spaces as yourself like do you sometimes feel a little bit drained like does it take a toll on you like if it's mm-hmm. if, it, if that's too much then we can move <laughs> on and I don't mind but I kind of wanted to Oh, yeah. I mean, it definitely depends on the, like, situation, but definitely feel drained because um, I think one of the questions that we, like, were maybe going to talk about was, like, 
code switching. Um, yeah, we didn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't even get to it, but I, I remember it was in the list. Yeah. And so <laughs> I feel like, yeah, depending on the situation, I feel like I do code switch. It hurts my heart. I'm like, I don't want to do it. Um, <laughs> like, it, but it feels sometimes it's like this feels like the safest way for me to be right now, or this feels like the most energy that I can give even though it is a lot of energy to code switch, but it's like something that you like as a black person, as a black queer person navigating spaces um, and recognizing that sometimes you don't have to share your whole self to certain people that you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and you people could do that in various ways, whether that's code switching or just like, you know, doing certain, I'm trying to think of another example, but, you know, other ways um, like that. And so I feel like, you know, depending on what's happening, I do feel like I am like drained. And sometimes I feel like I don't really care what anyone else thinks in this room. I'm just going to do me. I'm going to say me, stay true to myself and do whatever I want. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, those days, depends on how I'm feeling. Depends on how much like energy and how much I myself am like willing to give to whoever or wherever I'm like entering that is so real it's like what's your starting battery charge you know Mm -hmm. and that can determine like and also like where your location is because that can also affect (laughs) your battery charge exactly yeah but one thing you touched on that I thought was so so critical that was gonna be that was much lower on the list of questions because that's when stuff was gonna get thick um yeah but that's okay (laughs) another day maybe um you touched on safety and you touched Mm -hmm. on um, not always revealing your full self. And I honestly feel like that's so important to consider. Like, sometimes I think we can be a little judgmental of ourselves and how we behave in these spaces and maybe like, why aren't I being my most authentic and full self? And it's like, maybe I don't feel fully safe. And I think that that's something really important to think about, but okay, let me, but, uh, let me go ahead and wrap my own stuff up and let Ani come on and wrap things up for all of us. Uh, but thank you so much, Malika. Yes, thank you, me. This was an amazing conversation. Um, Malika, I didn't get a chance to talk to you very much before we got started, but like a lot of the things that you said resonated with me as a uh, before I started this program, I was also so I was a social worker, uh, was a therapist, and so just talking about the expectation of giving all of yourself for these communities is so draining and can burn you mm-hmm. out very quickly. Um, and so I just really appreciate both of your guys' honesty and just being um, being unapologetic and just being, this is how I am and it's enough and you're going to take it and you're going to like it because it's beautiful. It's great. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate you guys. Um, for everyone, I just want to thank you guys for joining us today. Um, if you guys want to see what it's like to be in Sydney seat and being a student moderator, or maybe you want to be um, like Malika and be one of our guests, please feel free to um, fill out this um, submission form that I'm going to put in the chat right now. And feel free to fill that out, or you can email us at craft. Uh, no, you can email us at craft at chatham.edu. Um, and if you have any questions about anything like that, um, as soon as the survey is over, um, I'm gonna, a uh, survey should pop up. 
And if you guys could fill out that survey and give us some feedback just so we can know how to do better uh, or just how to, you know, continue to improve this program, we would greatly appreciate it. Um, and then a link will also be followed up in a, um, in a following email with the survey if you're not able to do it right now. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Craft Chatham, all one word. Um, and yeah, this is our last episode for this series. I really, really appreciate Sydney and Katie, um, our last student moderator and all the work that they did to prepare for this. Um, they really had thoughtful, insightful, and just very uh, true conversations. And I just really appreciate it. And I wanna thank our special guests, Malika and Clarissa as well. Um, you guys made this series a special one and we can't wait to see what we have next soon, our next series. Awesome. All right. Thank you, everyone. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you again sometime. Thank you. Bye. Thank you guys so much. Bye. Bye. Take care.